Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ticket City presents Why You Go to the Game to See Georgia Southern. The play is known simply as The Run. Peterson took a handoff up the middle, broke a tackle at the line of scrimmage, spins away from the next defender he meets, and he shakes off a diving tackler. 30 yards down the field, he meets another defender and literally throws him out of the way with his right arm, grabs him by the shoulder pad, and swipes him off onto the sideline. It was really so surreal because the place is going completely berserk during the run until he throws off that defender. He throws off that defender, the whole place went silent, stone silent, like an intake of breath. It was just so amazing. Nobody had ever seen it before. And then, of course, the place exploded again after they all caught their breath. Put yourself in the action with Ticket City. Visit savannahnow.com slash sports and click on tickets. Oh, he will. Adrian Peterson is taking care of things right now. Down the sideline. If he can get loose, he's gone. Illigway will score. The Wesley Fields. Touchdown. Georgia Southern. All right, folks. Welcome to another episode of Georgia Southern Extra. I am Travis Chadon, the beat writer for Georgia Southern Athletics at the Savannah Morning News and savannahnow.com. I'm joined today by my co-host, Greg Talbot. It's been a minute since we've been together. I feel like Greg, so how, how have you been, man? I'm good, buddy. I'm uh, driving around in a car in Charlotte, North Carolina with my lovely fiance and her sister. So if it sounds like there's laughing in the background, it's because they're laughing at my radio voice. So this will be fun. The, yeah, they must really, really love you to ride around in a car with yeah, they, you while you're... Well, I was going to... It's it's that, but more enjoyably for them, we're gonna they're gonna listen to me talk about Georgia Southern football all the way home, so that'll be fun for them. What else could be better than that, right? Yeah, they, they, exactly. I mean, how much more blessed could they be? Their hashtag. <laughs> all right, so today, we'll, Greg and I will will let Greg give some thoughts on the Eastern Michigan game since he didn't have a chance to be with us last week. Um, give him a chance to run through what he thought about Georgia Southern's bowl victory over Eastern Michigan. Then we'll jump into our thoughts for the season. So this is going to be basically our season wrap-up. It'll be our last episode of 2018 uh, before the new year. So uh, we'll run through you know, what we think the biggest game, biggest moments. Uh, and then we'll go back and, and kind of address some of the things that we thought at the beginning of the season and tell you guys you know, where we were right and where we were wrong. And, and I imagine that a lot of you guys listening were probably – right and wrong on a lot of these same things. Um, so definitely want to give you guys our takes on that. All right, so let's jump into it, Greg. First, let's give you a chance to talk about the Eastern Michigan game and what what you saw in, in that game um, from Georgia Southern and Montgomery. Yeah, we had a really good time. So Connor Del Preed, our weekend sports anchor and I, we were down on the field for the uh, for the entire Eastern Michigan game. And what I was blown away by, and I didn't quite realize just how much of a home field advantage it was going to be, from the second I walked out of the media area and saw what the Eagle Walk was going to be, I went, holy bleep, this is going to be a home game for Georgia Southern. And then you waited a couple hours. I went and saw you. We went and got some food in the media area. Then we came back out as soon as 
the game was ready to kick off on the Georgia Southern side. And it was basically sold out on the Southern side of that stadium. I couldn't believe how well they traveled. And I came down to the conclusion with Connor and I think everyone in the stadium probably thought the same thing, which was that if it came down at the end to a close game, Southern was going to win. And that's exactly what happened. If Eastern Michigan side had been anywhere near as big and as loud as Georgia Southern side, I'm not sure they put together that final drive to win the game in quite the way they did. The home field advantage really helped. Shy Wirtz, once again, continued to prove that he's the best thing to come through this program now in a couple of years. He, he turned into a man in the second half of this year. We saw him go from college kid to man, unflappable, fearless leader. Chad Lunsford and Vic Cabral were getting the guys all riled up on the sidelines in the, in the, the final drive. We had the best time just rushing the field with the camera to capture the emotion. And my big takeaway was a great article agreeing with something that someone in SB Nation wrote, which is that everyone who says, oh, there are too many bowl games that don't mean anything. I think that can sometimes be true. But to see the way the guys were embracing and crying and feeling like they had put a bow on one of the great turnaround seasons in college football in 2018, to see how much it meant to them, that was pretty amazing. And seeing the way Southern's team was visibly moved the kids and Chad Lunsford and the fans. It has changed my opinion on college football bowl games in modern history. I, I, I really, it changed my mind in a good emotional way. Yeah, Greg, I'm with you. I, if you remember when we were talking about this game um, before, you know, the week leading up to it or, or right, right after the bowl game was announced, we talked about how, you know, it was great that they reached a bowl game that kind of, you know, was the end goal at the beginning of the season. And, you know, not that the game wasn't important or that we didn't think it was important going into it. But if you'll remember, I thought that if Georgia Southern were to lose the game or win the game, it wouldn't really, you know, define the season. And now after the fact, it's hard not to be moved by, you know, how they won and kind of how it all went down and how it played out. Um, And like you said, the emotion afterwards, I mean, I, I, I think that I kind of underestimated the importance of it a little bit, to be honest. Um, so, me too. I mean, you, yeah, so you, you, you're on the same page as me, right? Like, it's a little more important now looking back at it um, than what well, I, I guess I that, had that, originally That's exactly right. And, and what I loved thinking about it uh, on the drive back from Alabama the next morning with Connor, we were talking about it was, so this was my third season covering Georgia Southern at WSAV, which is just crazy to, to hear aloud because it went fast. But the first year was the, the down year with Tyson Summers, and although they kind of stank, it was interesting. And last year, even though they stunk at the end, I uh, stunk at the beginning and got good at the end, it was still interesting. We've been blessed with a couple, although the last two kind of stunk, with some really interesting Georgia Southern football teams. And to get to cover the story of this year, it reminds me, because sometimes in this business we forget, we we start to think of, it as a, think of it as a job, and we get a little jaded, and we get a little cynical. But to see the kids crying on the field and to see the look on Tyler Bass's face when they lifted him up after he hit that game-winning field goal, it's the kind of thing that you, that you want in this business every now and again, which is to go, okay, this is why we do what we do and get to tell these stories and be the ones to help form the narrative and talk about what people want to hear about. It was not only fun for the fans who I know were there, but I think everyone who got to cover this team this year and, and feel and learn the story of this team, it was it was a perfect ending to the story. Yeah, and that's what I wrote my column on last week or on Sunday before I left 
to come back to Savannah from Montgomery was that, you know, obviously I had no rooting interest for Georgia Southern besides the fact that I was going to be spending a lot of time, you know, with the team and watching games right. and, and kind of spending all my time doing it. So obviously I want to be around a winner as opposed to a loser, but you know, I really did, you know, it was hard not to root for this team just because of all the things that kind of went into it. And really it was like the perfect blend of, you know, coach speak and rhetoric and all that stuff coming into the year about how they're going to go back to the Georgia Southern way and all this, you know, all these great thoughts that ended up for the most part coming true. And that's pretty rare uh, in sports and it's even more rare in college sports. So yeah, I mean, it was definitely an incredible season. Greg, you got anything else from the bowl game before we jump into the season wrap? Yeah, the the strangest, most fun moment of the bowl game was when inexplicably with four minutes left to go in a one-point game, just as Southern was about to get the ball back, they played proud to be an American in its entirety and started showing like the American flag on the scoreboard. That was our favorite moment. We were just cracking up because we couldn't understand why they were doing it. But I will never I'm forget so glad. around it, Frank and – Looking at Jake from WTOC and Big Frank, we were like, what the hell is happening? I am so glad you brought that up because, you know, obviously there's a lot going on in that moment, but I think everyone in the press press box, (laughs) everyone in the press box was kind of looking at each other like, are you hearing, is, am I the only one hearing that right now? Is that actually (laughs) happening? But in a weird, strange way, Greg, and I think this makes me, you know, ultra patriotic, I think that song kind of got me a little hyped up. I was proud to be an American in that moment. Well, yeah, you know, Freedom the Eagle on the sideline, the Georgia Southern, you know, bald eagle mascot. I think it was a little motivated. Probably <laughs> oh. not. I, it was just good for the comedy value. It was great. All the great stuff. I did want to remind folks listening that on that Saturday night, I think Gonzaga was playing North Carolina. How did that game turn out, Greg? Next. <laughs> All right, let's jump into a season wrap-up. Guys, and we want to first start with let's let's start with biggest game, Greg. And obviously, there's a lot of places we could go with this, but when we say biggest game, you could say the you know the biggest win for Georgia Southern or the moment you know the game where the season kind of was allowed to take off and allowed to go in a different direction. I guess you know the nominees would be Arkansas State, App State, probably you could say Georgia State. I guess. Um, so the, those are the moments or the games for me. I mean, for me, it was App State, and that's not me going out on a limb by any stretch. But I, a, after that game, after that Thursday night, you kind of realize that Georgia Southern wasn't just riding some, you know, some wave of momentum, and, and they certainly didn't catch App State off guard. Um, obviously, we know there were some factors in that game with injuries, and uh, Jordan Fair, the App State linebacker, being tossed out of the game pretty early on. Um, but that that win for me, Greg, was the biggest game of the year over App State. And that, for me, even though they would go on to lose at ULM and, and at home uh, versus Troy, I think that game solidified this team and kind of made them real in my eyes 100%. What well, about you? You know, you're exactly right. And uh, although I will say I think Arkansas State was – in my mind, the best game of the year, and the, I thought that was the most fun game, home or away, regardless, Arkansas State. But, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. App State was the best game of the year, coming with the caveat that, yeah, App State lost their quarterback pretty much right away and they had a backup in the whole time. But here's the thing. 
based on the early going of that game and the home field advantage that was evident with the crowd at Paulson Stadium, I really think that Southern would have won that game regardless. I don't think with, with that weather and those fans and that atmosphere and the hype that Southern had right off the top, I don't think there's a way they were losing that game, even if the Mountaineers had, had kept their quarterback in the game. So, no, you're exactly right. That was the biggest game of the year, and that was the big signature win of the season that people will be talking about. And I feel like there's probably something to the idea that if there are kids at Southern who are freshmen or sophomores or juniors who didn't grow up being fans of Georgia Southern football, they might not really have gotten it if they'd gone to games the last two years. I feel like anyone who was at that game who hadn't really gotten what it's like to be there for a great game before kind of got it that night. And I think once in a while, especially after a couple seasons, you need a game like that to keep your fans interested for a while. Yeah, look, I I grew up in Savannah. You know, I went to probably a dozen Georgia Southern games growing up, and you know, most of those during the Adrian Peterson era. But that that App State game was probably my first taste of Georgia Southern's atmosphere and the expectations of the pro. Kind of, you could feel it all leading up to that game, and for Georgia Southern to win like they did, you know, in dominating fashion, really, that kind of changed the way I viewed that team and really the way I viewed the fan base and their impact um, on games because, you know, it takes a lot for me, Greg, you know this just from knowing me for a while now, it takes a lot for me to to say that something not on the field has an impact on the field, if that makes sense. So that, but I do think that that, that game uh, proved that there is something to that at least. Um so yeah, yeah. My, my takeaway is that because I've just been working in sports media since I was 15, I'm kind of the same way. At the same time, though, my kind of feeling is that when everyone in the press box kind of looks around at each other and says, "Do you feel this?" That's when you know that it's going to have an impact on the game. Yeah, that game had everything except for proud to be an American. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go. Let's jump straight from biggest game to biggest moment. And again, a lot of a lot of nominees for this, Greg, but. You know, before I say my, I'll let you go first. I'll I'll do a wild card first. Um, I think possibly the biggest moment of the season for Georgia Southern, I don't want this to come off the wrong way, but possibly the biggest moment of the season was when App State's quarterback, Zach Thomas, went down with an injury in that game because it, it, you know, obviously I think Georgia Southern wins that game no matter what, uh, just from how they played and how App State didn't play well. Um, but I think that, you know, you could make a legitimate argument. I probably won't do that in this space, but you could make a legitimate argument that that was the biggest moment of the, se- of the Georgia Southern season, uh, you know, the opposing team's quarterback being injured. But, um, you know, I won't pick that, but that's something to keep in mind. What do you think the biggest moment of the year was, Greg? My biggest moment of the year was the, with time expiring, Wesley Kennedy uh, reverse touchdown against Arkansas State to seal that win. And after the beginning of the season, we were so positive, but we were saying, okay, let's see what happens against Arkansas State. That'll let us know if this team is serious. And the combination of the atmosphere and the Bob DeBess rope-a-dope just reeling that defense in the entire game just unleashed that reverse on them at the end. And the fact that it was a Savannah kid and the fact that Lunsford went nuts, it, that to me was the best moment of the season, followed by the Tyler Bass kick to seal the bowl game. But that and to be on the call to get the call that moment to get to narrate that moment yeah. that was the highlight of, of my 
2018 college football broadcasting season at least. That was the coolest moment by far to me. Yeah, so I mean that's that's number one on my list here in front of me, Greg, is the the Wesley Kennedy reverse. So you know that's my pick too. But a few other, you know, I guess nominees would be at, you know I don't remember the specific scenario, but at Texas State, um, when the game was you know still still very very much up for grabs early in the first quarter, I think it might have been the first drive actually. If you'll remember, I think Texas State was first and goal from the three. Um, to open that game that Georgia Southern ended up winning by two points, I believe. Georgia Southern ended up holding them. I think it was Raymond Johnson and, and Chris Harris on third and fourth down to stop Texas State from scoring. Uh, you know, And then another moment three quarters later in that game in the fourth quarter when Georgia Southern allowed Texas State to drive and a, and a true freshman quarterback in Tyler Vitt to drive the length of the field against them, score a touchdown, and then have a two-point conversion to tie the game. And Texas State was a really big underdog in that game, and they could have tied the game. Georgia Southern ended up stopping a fade attempt, uh, a terrible call on on that two-point conversion. But nonetheless, Georgia Southern stepped up defensively in that Texas State game multiple times. And then, Greg, if you remember in that that Texas State game as well, after the two-point conversion, Shai Wirtz was really, really banged up on that last drive when Georgia Southern had to get one or two first downs to seal it. And worse ended up coming back into the game after LeBaron Anthony had taken a snap or two. Um, and then Georgia Southern got the first down, the two first downs to, to ice the game. So, you know, those kind of moments throughout the year, and there's, you know, there's plenty more you could pick from. I think the coastal Carolina game kind of showed a lot after losing back to back games and then falling behind early. Um, you know, I do, have a, I do have a secondary nominee. I would take the 4-10 rush by Shy Wirtz to set up the kick. For sure. Bass at the Camellia Bowl. I think everyone's going to remember for 20 years the kick to win the game. But I think anyone who was watching the game closely, or especially if they were there, they'll remember the 4th and, da- and 10 drop back and scramble from Shy to put him in field goal range. That, to me, actually might have been the best play of the game. Well, Greg, let's, let's talk about it real quick. Because on, on when I recapped that game last week, um, on Georgia Southern Extra, I talked about the two uh, moments where Lunsford and DeBess and the coaching staff chose to go with Tyler Bass field goals. Um, or they, I'm sorry, on one fourth down, uh, I think it was fourth and three, they chose to punt to Eastern Michigan. Eastern Michigan's next drive, they went forward on fourth down and didn't get it. And then in the fourth quarter, the drive prior to Eastern Michigan's touchdown drive, the go-ahead touchdown drive. Uh, Georgia Southern elected to kick a Tyler Bass field goal, a short field goal. I think it was, it might have been 40 yards. Um, they elected to kick the Tyler Bass field goal instead of going for it on fourth and one. Uh, did you have any problem with them kicking that Bass field goal in the fourth quarter? Um, if you don't remember, I can I can look up the exact situation, but I know a lot of people in the press box were really questioning that decision to kick the field goal, but it was fine by me. And I think it was pretty obvious that that's what Lunsford and company were going to do. Wait, given people what in the press box wanted them to go for the touchdown, go for the end zone. Well, not, not on the final, uh, not on the final drive. I mean, prior. So when Georgia Southern was leading, Oh, go. No, sorry. I was confused. I was like, what? Got, yeah. Got, got it. Got it. Got it. So they were, yeah. So they were leading and then they went ahead by, they were leading by three. They went ahead by six. Um, on that Bass field goal, and then Eastern Michigan comes down and scores seven to go ahead by one. But, you know, I know a lot of people wanted them to go for it there. Did you have any problem with 
with them kicking that field goal before Eastern Michigan's touchdown drive? No, I didn't. Just because by the time the first quarter was maybe the midway, whenever it was that Eastern Michigan scored their first touchdown on what was a really solid drive where they were picking up yards play after play after play. I remember looking at Connor on the sideline and going, they need to take points this game any way they could get them. So, no, I, I think it was the, the right call just because in that kind of game where they clearly want to win at any cost and it was clearly going to be close down the home stretch, take points any way you can. So I had no problem with that. Awesome. So we're, we're in line with that. Um, and, yeah, so, I mean, that. There's a bunch of big moments throughout the season that we we could have picked from, um, but I think that's a good thing. I, what's important to remember is that games like, let's see, I mean, games like UMass, for instance. Remember, Greg, before the season, how concerned at least me and you were uh, with that matchup and how we thought that that would kind of tell us what Georgia Southern was. I mean, little did we know that that game wouldn't end up being an afterthought almost. Um, but, but it's important to remember games like that aren't, even though they ended up not being close, they ended up being blowouts. Those weren't just give me at the time, you know? No, that's exactly right. And I remember them winning the South Carolina state game, talking to you in the press box afterward going, okay, well that's about as much as they're guaranteed this season. Now let's see what happens. And they kind of, kick the UMass on the teeth and go, all right, that's, that's impressive. And then Clemson happened and we were all kind of waiting on Arkansas state. And I remember the elation just at halftime realizing the Arkansas state game was going to be close. I think I ran into you like on the way to the bathroom. We're like, okay, this, this team might be better than we thought. And, and luckily that's exactly what happened. Yeah. It kind of, I mean, at the beginning of the year, especially we kind of, Dick, when Georgia Southern kept winning, I mean, let, let's, we'll take Clemson out of the equation. Obviously no one, had any expectation expectation of Georgia Southern winning that game, but besides that game, we kept they kept winning, and we kept saying, "Yeah, but let's see this. Let's see this next game. Let's see what they can do against this kind of team. Let's see what they can do in this kind of situation." And then you know that's why I picked the App State game as the biggest game because after that App State game, we kind of stopped asking those kind of questions because everything. Right. You know, everything at that point have, had kind of been proven and really multiple times at that point, it had kind of been proven. This episode of the Georgia Southern Extra podcast is brought to you by the Savannah Morning News' Empty Stocking Fund. Since 1971, the Empty Stocking Fund has been making sure all needy children will have a reason to smile on Christmas morning. Countless readers have shared their blessings with those in our community who are suffering hardships during the holiday season. All contributions are appreciated and will be acknowledged in the manner requested by donors. To donate, please send checks made payable to SCF Empty Stocking Fund to 2225 Norwood Avenue, Suite B, Savannah, Georgia, 31406. Again, that is 2225 Norwood Avenue, Suite B, Savannah, Georgia, 31406. And make sure to label it SCF Empty Stocking Fund. Thank you and happy holidays. Uh, Greg, let's jump right into some things that we thought before the season, um, just, you know, based on our opinions and based on what, you know, what, what we saw in fall practices and, and what the coaches and players were saying. Yeah, I was going to ask you, did you pull our, did you pull our predictions from, from episode one? Uh, you mean like the, the record predictions? 
Yeah, well, what did we say? I think we were both around four wins, five wins. So, yeah, in the opening episode, I, I, I projected Georgia Southern at six and, or at five and seven, I believe, for the 12 game. And, and I think you had five and seven, too. And then the next episode, the week of South Carolina State, I went back and changed my – I upped mine by two. So I picked them to win seven games. And I think, I think the over-under was five and a half from Vegas uh, for Georgia Southern win totals. Also, for what it's worth, I just changed my mind again. I went back and I got five wins for this team. Travis, what do you have? <laughs> uh, I, I'm going to stick with five. I think I, that's what I would put the over-under at is five for me. And, and I think it's all a little ambitious. If you go through and specifically look at each game, then you start confusing yourself and you start, you know, thinking, well, if it goes this way, if it goes that way, it's, it's tough to do that. So I think the over-under should be set at five. Yeah, I got South Carolina State as a win. I got UMass as a win. I got Clemson and Arkansas State as losses. I got South Alabama and Texas State as wins. I got them losing to New Mexico, losing to App, beating ULM, losing to Troy, losing to Coastal, uh, and, and losing to, to Georgia State. Coastal's a toss-up game to me, too. Yeah. I could conceivably say six. I could also conceivably say four. So I think five is the... I would say if you can win five games, you did fine. Yeah, I, I think I would agree with that. That's tough to hear, obviously, before the season starts. But, you know, that's, that's what we're here to do is tell you what we think. So. so, I mean, we were both obviously underestimating them. But, you know, again, I don't know that even after week three, even after the Arkansas State game, I wasn't really ready to up my win total from seven to you know to eight or nine certainly not ten um so you know it kept being pretty surprising but yeah you you were off by five whole games greg Whew. so are you <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we have that in common as well uh let's jump to yeah so let's jump into some things that we thought some things some places where we were wrong places where we were right um greg i'll, I'll start and, and we'll just run through you know however many we have uh, collectively, uh, first, I mean, one thing that I think we were both right on that a lot of people weren't, you know, weren't really harping on before the season was the impact of the secondary and how good the secondary would be all season long. Georgia Southern struggled with the middle of the field pass, and we can't honestly sit here and not, you know, not address that as a, as pretty much a fact. Um, but Besides that one kind of little weakness, the Georgia Southern secondary was ultra good the whole season, and they became really the the strength of the entire team, I think, uh, Greg, the secondary. And so we had both kind of, before the season, seen all the hype for the App State secondary, and deservedly so. They had a bunch of guys coming back and a bunch of big-time names. But the guys playing for Georgia Southern were uh, just as good, we thought, coming into the year, and they ended up proving that throughout the season, I thought. No, that's absolutely right. And although I would say that probably the, the greatest turnaround that, that we saw in my mind actually was was the was the switch of the defensive scheme up to a 3-4, I, yeah, the, the, the secondary was a bunch of stars, especially the cornerbacks. The safeties were really good, but the corners were – Brinson and Vildor were – I think even though people probably aren't wearing their jerseys to games and, and begging them for autographs on campus the way that people are doing that for Shy Wirtz and 
in, in Wesley Fields. Um, yeah, I thought the two cornerbacks were the under-heralded stars of the season that saved more games that Southern could have possibly lost. I think Southern would be looking at a different record if they had had a, a different pair of corners this year. Yeah, 100%. And the, the safety position is something that Georgia Southern will have to address moving forward as they'll lose Josh Moon and Sean Freeman um, to graduation. But, you know, that's something that at least one thing that we got right coming into the year, Greg, um, you got, you got something that you got right or wrong. Yeah. I would say you and I were right about the coordinator hires being really good. I think there were a lot of people out there who kind of shrugged their shoulders at the coordinator hires and kind of thought that it was going to be all up to Chad all the time. But just be, having the access that we had to kind of figure out how the program was going to work moving forward, you and I kind of saw that Chad was basically going to be a CEO of the team and, and leave a lot of the scheming and the game calling to his coordinators. He kind of said that, you know, I'm, I'm running the show, but I, I know what I don't know, and I leave it to the people who know to take care of that stuff. You and I were right about Chad's coaching style and that the, whole, that the coordinator hires we're going to be great. And I like to think that we were kind of ahead of the, of the curve on that. I think entering the season, a lot of people kind of said, well, those sound good. Let's see how it goes. I remember you and I talking pretty early on in the season going, that's going to be the best thing Chad did was hiring the right coordinators. Yeah. And it was just apparent to me. And I guess for you as well, Greg, when you talk to Scott Sloan and, and Bob, the best, especially for me, the fit, you know, you heard that word a lot. The fit was just perfect. And kind of the way that they talked about football and and the way that they thought about the game was just so in line with the way that people had wanted the Georgia Southern coaching staff to be thinking for a long time. And, and the things that they were saying made sense, you know, and the things that they were saying, like, uh, um, well, let's, let's just jump right into the next one. I guess something I was wrong about, Greg, we heard, Bob DeBest talk about how the offense would evolve over time. And, and you can correct me if you don't agree with this, but I thought we saw the offense evolve every week up until maybe the week four or five mark. I think um, following the bye week, the offense kind of showed a lot more diversity. But really after that, Greg, we, I don't think we really saw the offense evolve. And it didn't have to. Obviously, you know, they were successful for a large part of the season, but we, we kept hearing that the offense was going to become, you know, more balanced and, and deeper and more diverse and, and more things would be added as we went along. But did you see that? Cause I didn't really see much more. I mean, in the bowl game, they had more preparation time. So they did have a few wrinkles. They used an extra offensive lineman uh, at times in the backfield and stuff like that. But, for the most part, I didn't see a lot of changing from Bob DeBess's offense from about the middle part of the season to the end of the season. Especially um, surprising to me because even when week one and week two, I remember sitting down with him in coaching meetings and asking him, hey, coach, what, you know, you, you didn't have that much time to install a pretty intricate offense. What percentage of the playbook do you have installed? And I think he said like 30, 35% in week one. In week two, he was like 40 45% maybe and either he chose to go this whole season basically operating at maybe two-thirds of his playbook or there just wasn't as much as we thought in terms of crazy play calling the fact of the matter was they kind of didn't need it and I didn't mind that they ran a pretty contained offense most of the season 
turns out the contained offense and good defense was enough to win them a lot of games. Yeah, for sure. And let's stay on the where I was wrong train, Greg. And and me and you both thought this coming into the year when we talked about the Georgia Southern wide receivers before the season. Who was the first guy we were mentioning? Obi Fortune. Obi Fortune. It was Obi Fortune and everyone else. And you know, again, this isn't something that's like of of great importance, but um, you know, I guess in the interest of of honesty, we want to admit that, or I'll at least admit that, you know, I thought Obi Fortune's impact, especially given that, um, uh, was it Malik Henry? Was that who transferred prior to the season? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah, 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 so we and then we thought it was going to be Obi Fortune's kind of unit, and everyone else falling in line behind him. Um, it ended up not being that way at all. Um, you saw Colby Ransom, saw uh, big play DA Greg uh, make some plays. Mark Mashad um, w- was big for chunks of the season, um, and and so it really wasn't Obi Fortune, and and obviously that's fine. <laughs> As long as someone was producing um, in that unit, Georgia Southern was going to be fine. But it turns out Obi Fortune did not have uh, the impact that I originally thought he was going to have. No, that's exactly right. And all the, my big takeaway was that, yeah, Obi didn't end up being nearly as much of a factor as we kind of anticipated. Turns out the, the big threats ended up being Wesley Kennedy, at least in the first half of the year, and then Darian Anderson and occasionally a tight end i was expecting somebody to come in and like be the receiver but it turns out i think we learned by the end of the season that by design the idea was that southern would always have three receivers on the field and you never knew exactly who they were going to throw to when you look at the final season stats most people ended up having like between three and five catches and there really wasn't a huge breakaway star at least the first half of the season there was wesley kennedy but I, 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 the first half of the season, I kind of thought that that was just proving that no one was standing out. And although that might be true, I think the real idea was that DeBest kind of wanted that to be the case so the defense could never key on somebody. I thought that was by design. Yeah, I think so too. And, and you know, some of it might have been that you kind of got to dance with the one that brought you and you kind of got to just call based on the personnel that you have available to you. And I think that there was so many guys in that wide receiver unit, and it'll probably be this way next year. Um, there are so many guys in that offensive unit who were, or that wide receiver unit who were very similar in terms of their just talent level. And so you could look at that one or two ways, glass half empty or glass half full. You could say that that's good. There's a lot of depth there and that uh, you have plenty of weapons. Or you could say that, there isn't the one go-to guy. So you're kind of forced, uh, you know, to use depth over a marquee receiver, if you will. Yeah. I think you're right on that, buddy. I think you're right on. All right. You got any, any other ones, Greg? I, you know, I, I was thinking about the offensive line. I, I don't really know, you know, much to say about it. I know they performed better. Uh, I think they were the group for me, Greg, that probably improved every week the most um would you would you agree with that the offensive line yeah then the offensive line was one of the great surprises of the season especially considering you and i were worried as hell after that first game remember i remember you and i coming in going why the hell can't they go with a dive play 
for more than two yards at a time. Against South Carolina State. Yeah, exactly right. So um, I was pleased with the progression of the offensive line, especially considering that they started from a place where you and I were kind of looking around going, oh, no. Yeah, I mean, they started as a real big concern for me. I mean, I think that might even be putting it lightly. And then I think they close out the season, Greg, and, and it, offensive linemen are, and, and the unit as a whole are kind of like special teams guys that you, you don't often talk about them unless it's in a negative light. And so as the season moved along, we, we started thinking less and less about the offensive line, which for me is the biggest compliment you can give an offensive line group is when you go into a game and you break down all the X's and O's and you're not, you, you never really even consider the offensive line not playing well. And so that, that was nice to see. And, you know, kudos to Ron Hudson and, and, and his group of guys for really getting better the entire season. And a bit, they're obviously a big reason why Georgia Southern had so much success uh, period and had so much success running the ball. So, yeah, I think, I think you're right. Let's hear what else. Do we have anything else we were super, super wrong about except the, the final records? I like to think we were pretty good at least after the first week or two. Yeah, I think, I mean, it was easy once the season started to kind of be right about a lot of stuff because there wasn't a lot of trickery. You know, there wasn't a lot of things that were kind of, uh, I guess, you know, behind the scenes. It was just kind of they are what they are. Uh, we didn't really talk about it a lot before the season, Greg, but something I didn't expect, um, and I'm still not really a giant fan of it, but something I didn't expect was the pace. I did not expect Georgia Southern to be historically slow-paced on offense. I mean, when I'm saying historically, I mean like historically slow running around 50 plays a game, you know, and that is alarming to run that few of plays and, and to be able to score like Georgia Southern did with that few plays. Um, well, it demands you have one hell of a defense. Yeah, and it, and you had better be efficient. You had better not turn the ball over, and you had better not penalize yourself. Um, and Georgia Southern didn't do any of that stuff. I mean, I, you know, I don't want to go too long on this, Greg, but looking looking to next year, a lot of the things that Georgia Southern did this year, and I don't want to be a pessimist, but it's hard. I don't know. It's the historic things that this team did, it's hard to imagine that that they're really sustainable, if that makes sense. I mean, is Georgia Southern going to go out next season and not throw an interception? Are they only going to fumble five times the entire year? Are they going to set a turnover margin record? Are they going to set the fewest uh, turnovers in general record? Are they going to do all those things again? And if not, are they going to be able to win football games without doing those historic things. I mean, that's a real concern, I think. Um, it's a good problem to have when you set records. Can you do it again? But, you know, that's something to consider for sure, I think, looking to next year. I think it demands new offensive wrinkles. And, I mean, I, I'll say it again because I've been honest about it. Um, I, I come from a part of the country that doesn't really ever consider the option offense. West Coast is all spread and it's all passing the ball. 80 times a game out there. So that's yeah, the that's, that's too that's sexy. Kind of that's not blue collar. Yeah, it was the kind of football I was raised on, so I've never been a huge fan of the option offense. But my thought is that if you're going to run the option in 2018, it demands that you run it basically perfectly and that you just have the talent to go out there and be better than the opposing defense 
if you're able to run it effectively and win. And the good news for Chad Lunsford is that he's been such a great recruiter these last couple of years that moving forward, I bet they can, I mean, even if they, yeah, they'll probably throw an interception next year. I don't know. But the more important thing is that, yeah, I know Bob DeBeth has more up his sleeve as more of his kids come into this program that have been recruited by him and don't, haven't had four offensive coordinators in four years, the more intricate and the more system-based they'll be allowed to be. Yeah, it'll be, I mean, it'll be fascinating to watch kind of how the roster takes shape moving forward, Greg, the next 24 months, because it'll be the opportunity for Bob the best, Chad Lunsford and Scott Sloan to, to really, without telling us, we'll be able to know the kind of players just physically from what these players look like, we'll be able to know kind of what Georgia Southern wants to be, if that makes sense, because right. they, you know, they have their opportunity to basically, you know, not handpick any player in the state, but there's a large, large group of players every single year uh, coming out that are capable of playing for Georgia Southern. And there's a lot of guys in this state running uh, a similar offense at least, uh, you know, at least similar on some levels to Georgia Southern. So th- we'll, we'll see for sure what Georgia Southern values, whether, you know, it's a certain trait or, you know, a certain position over another. Um, but, yeah, it, it'll be super interesting to see how Scott Sloan continues to recruit the 3-4 after, all. you know, the majority of these guys were recruited on the defensive side for a 4-3 um, defensive scheme so things like that are, are I think important to keep an eye on moving forward in the offseason um, Greg before we close out I kind of wanted to make a point and get your thought on it for me this season you know I think a lot of people will look at it as the start of something um, and that's certainly fair and could be correct but do you think, or do you agree with me on this, Greg, that this feels more like the closing of something and, and now whatever happens from here on out is kind of a new chapter? The, to me, the end of this season kind of signals the righting of a bunch of wrongs, uh, the return to what Georgia Southern had always been uh, prior to 2015, which was winners. Um but for me, it doesn't feel like it's the start of this great run. Even though Georgia Southern might have a great run coming forward. Does this make sense to you, Greg? Like, it feels like it's the closing of something, if that... Uh, yeah, I'm actually really glad you said that because I actually feel the exact same way, which is that I kind of tie the Tyson Summers era in the beginning of the Chad Lunsford era together. And I almost felt like this was the final chapter of... Uh, of, of like the uh, a shitty volume of a book series, and this <laughs> next season is going to be like the actual begin. I mean, I know that this this year is the beginning of the Chad Lunsford story, and I understand that. But I, I really believe this was the this was this was the end of a bad chapter of of a shitty book series, and now we're launching into the next volume of the book series. You know what I mean? Yeah, got that long-term contract for the series. Exactly right. Okay, yeah, so we're on the same page on that as well. Um, do you got anything else you want to touch on, Greg, before we close out for the year? Yeah, man, I was just so happy uh, at the fan attendance and reaction for the bowl game, and I'm fine. I'm glad that after a couple of years here at here in Savannah, I was able to 
really get a taste of, of what it's like when Georgia Southern is, is really good at football. And Chad Lunsford is going to be the most influential Georgia Southern coach in a while. And if he hasn't already done that, he's on his way. And I think we're, I think people are going to remember Chad Lunsford in the same fond way years down the road that they remember a lot of the other successful guys after Paul Johnson. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with you 100%. I think what he's brought to the program is super unique. And it's something that I don't think anyone, you know, I don't think anyone could have uh, seen this beforehand. Kind of the, the maybe the on the field stuff makes sense, but the reaction off the field and, and just the uh, having the open door policy that they do as far as social media and stuff like that goes kind of letting the people inside the doors and, and being, being human on social media, stuff like that. That's what people want nowadays. And, and that's what we want as media members. That's what fans want. I think they want their players and coaches and administrators and social media accounts. They want those things to be real and to be real, you know, mirrors of the program and not some, you know, make made up cliche of how, you know, this game's going to go if it's a a hype video or something like that. Just, you know, it's been super refreshing to, to be a part of all season long to see the honesty and then to see that kind of thing turn into success. Um, was very refreshing and at least on some levels surprising um, to me, at least Greg, uh, you know, I wanted to thank everyone that's listened this year to this podcast and all the people that have, you know, followed along with you and I, Greg throughout the season and interacted with us on, on Twitter and social media and, you know, and Facebook and, th- and through this podcast, because without you guys, none of this is really possible. And, without, without the passion. And we've, I've certainly had my differences with a lot of the towards the Southern fans this season, Greg, you know, you're not a true fan. You're not a true fan. (laughs) That's, that's probably still true. Um, but you know, again, I, I said it earlier in the season, uh, when some fans were unhappy about, uh, you know, injury tweets or, me saying that Shywerts didn't play well at ULM after Shywerts said that he didn't play well at ULM. Um, those kind of things I'll never take personally because I, I, you know, I don't think it's too strong to say I love the fact that this fan base cares so much, and what it does for me, it's it gives me incentive to, you know to cover this team every single day because I know that people care about it. And so if people disagree, I'll never ever have a problem with that. All I ask is that if you're going to be opinionated about this team, that you spend time watching the team um, and you don't have to be able to attend practices. You don't have to be in the press conferences. All you have to do is watch the games and be a knowledgeable fan. And I think, this fan base has proven itself over this season to be knowledgeable and to be one that knows what it's talking about. I mean, you don't see a lot of Georgia Southern fans that don't remember a certain play or, or even a, a just the smallest moments. Um, they seem to remember them all. And that is, you know, 
electric on my end. It, you can feel it and it drives me. And so for that, I'm grateful for you guys for being that way the whole season. And I hope you guys bring it like that next season, Greg. Yeah, no, that's, that's right. I, I feel the same thing. And the one, my one wish for 2019 since it's around the corner and I know we're, God, we're nine, we're nine, eight, eight nine months away from it. Is Chad Lunsford in this team gave you what you wanted. The attendance next year at home needs to be better and whatever it takes, get there. I mean, I, I know that the, the non-conference games next year aren't that enticing. I, was it New Hampshire or Maine? And the, 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 the non-conference games next year at home aren't that enticing, and, and we don't know the, the conference schedule yet in terms of the home games, but now it shouldn't matter. This is a 10-win FBS team. Uh, I, I hope the fan base finds it in their hearts and in their wallets to, to start to pack Paulson next year kind of the way they did for basically the Arkansas State and kind of the App State game. We didn't see a full – we didn't see a totally full Paulson Stadium once this year, and I hope that after this year we can see that change in 2019. Yeah, and I think we will. I mean, we talked about it, Greg, that, that it, you know, it, they didn't start losing uh, overnight, and fans reacted in states where the way most fans react. If you start losing, they start not showing up. And so now that you've put a full season on tape and you've put a successful season by any measure uh, on tape, there really is no reason. And I expect Georgia Southern fans to do what they've done this whole season next year. I I feel like they're going to be a mirror of the team. And and if the team wins, that they'll be there uh, to support it. And, And if they aren't, then we'll be back here to tell them that they should be. So, um, it's a day, buddy. Yeah. Hey. So thank you guys again for listening all year. We'll be back in January with with uh a bi-monthly podcast. We'll we'll touch on football stuff as it comes up, mostly basketball, and just kind of keep you guys up to date on things that happen. Definitely want to keep you guys uh on savannahnow.com slash sports. I'll still have um columns and and eagle extras and notebooks on Georgia Southern football. I'll be covering the basketball team as well. Um, I know you can watch and and listen to Greg call the basketball games, but we'll be back in January for that. So, again, thank you guys for listening. And uh, until January. Hail Southern. Oh, yeah. Adrian Peterson is taking care of things right now. If he can get loose, he's gone. Illigway will score. The Wesley Fields. Touchdown, Georgia Southern. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.